You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good everybody, and welcome to another episode of If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Today's episode will begin in just a moment, but first I want to tell you that we are coming to you courtesy of New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. New Works is awesome no matter how big or how small your plumbing issue, New Works has a fix for you. That's right. They've got a fix for you. Just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W, wrxplumbing.com and remember if you happen to have an emergency in the middle of the night no problem new works will be there with their 24 7 service again for all of your plumbing needs and repairs just go to newworksplumbing.com november 1988 my first broadcast as an nba announcer and I've talked about getting the job when I was at Channel 31, the phone call that I made to my dad, which was one of the happiest phone calls I've ever made in my life. And then I'm in Portland, the Kings and the Blazers, and it's a couple of hours before the contest, and I'm staying at the team hotel in Portland, the Red Lion Hotel, and the hotel phone rings. This was before cell phones, and I answer, and it's Tom Curran. Tom Curran was the sports director at Channel 13 in Sacramento, and Tom had done the games from 85 till the spring of 88. And so Tom had a chance to live his dream for three years, and now it was my turn. But I answer the phone, and it's Tom Curran. And Tom says, hey, Grant, I'm just calling. I'd be lying to you if I said that it doesn't hurt that I'm not there getting ready to do the game, but I'm really happy for you. And I wish you nothing but the best. You're going to do great. And we talked for about five minutes or so. And I just thought, man, how freaking classy is that? That Tom Curran is calling me in my hotel room to wish me good luck, as hard as it was for him, not be able to do the games anymore after three years. So the old Portland Veterans Coliseum, uh, very small venue. Clyde Drexler and Terry Porter were the backcourt. Jerome Kersey. Buck Williams, Kevin Duckworth up front. The head coach was Mike Schuler, And I remember being in Portland for the first time, and I was just amazed at how many people loved the Blazers, whether I was in a taxi or walking down the street. Everyone was talking about the Portland Trail Blazers. And my broadcast partner was Ted Green. And for those of you that weren't alive back then or 
really didn't start following the Kings until 10 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever the case may be. Ted Green was a very well-known broadcaster. Ted Green was the producer for the Roy Firestone show in Los Angeles. And Roy Firestone would interview everybody. His show was phenomenal. He was a great interviewer, but Ted was the producer, and Ted was able to get him all of the big-time guests, whether it was Magic Johnson, whether it was Pete Rose, Tommy Lasorda, Phil Jackson, I mean, Larry Bird. I mean, we can go right on down the list, all right? Ted knew everybody, and Ted produced, and Roy Firestone was a very hot commodity. Again, Roy had an incredible show, and most everyone wanted to be on that show. So if Ted was going to reach out to you, uh, you would figure out a way to get to L.A. and be on the show. So I learned a lot from Ted. Ted was a very polished broadcaster. He was incredibly knowledgeable about the NBA. And we also had contracted out of St. Louis, Bud Sports. And Bud Sports had done the St. Louis Blues and the St. Louis Cardinals. And the reason why Bud Sports produced our games was my company had two TV stations, Channel 31 in Sacramento and Channel 11 uh, KPLR, Coppler Communications in St. Louis, and they did the Cardinals and they did the St. Louis Blues and they used Bud Sports and they were very familiar with their production company. So the producer for my games was Lou Ray Noni. And Lou was just a, a perfect person in my life at that time. Lou had done the Cincinnati Reds throughout the 70s and the Big Red Machine and New Johnny Bench and Tom Seaver and Pete Rose and Joe Morgan. And uh, he lived pretty much, you know, with all those guys during the baseball season. And Lou was a, an incredible person for me, an incredible mentor. And I learned a lot about the business from Lou Ray Noni as the producer. And then being around Ted Green and all of the contacts that he had, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, from both of those guys. But my first game in Portland, Kings obviously lose. And then we come back home, and it is the home opener at Arco Arena. And the fanfare and the festivities leading up to that with David Stern in town, uh, it was quite the night. Ted and I were wearing tuxedos, and I remember going and renting my tuxedo and living alone. It took me about a freaking half hour to get dressed uh, with all the cufflinks and everything else. I mean, I wasn't a guy that was wearing tuxedos very often, so that was all new to me. And I remember getting dressed. I lived in uh, Natomas, a uh, short distance from the arena. And again, back then, there was nothing in Natomas. And I remember the, the first game, and I don't really remember much about the game, but I remember the excitement that I had in my body. I remember all of the uh, dignitaries that were at the game. And I, I had so much fun that first year, you know, going to Madison Square Garden and broadcasting a game next to my idol, Marv Albert, with my dad there. And, you know, just being at Madison Square Garden on the floor, going to Chicago at the old Chicago Stadium, going to the Boston Garden to, you know, announce Bird and McHale and, McHale and Parrish and DJ, going to the Great Western Forum and announcing games with Magic Johnson and Kareem and Worthy and Cooper. and I mean, that was a, a huge thrill for me. That, that was unbelievable for me uh, early on in my career to be in all those venues. And I remember being at shoot-around, and very often I would help because, you know, you didn't have many people on the staff back then. You had a head coach. You had an assistant coach. Uh, you had one equipment manager, one trainer, and, you know, everyone pitched in. So, you know, very often, you know, I'd be on the floor throwing the guys the ball. I'd be doing drills with the guys. And that was a lot of fun. And I remember 
you know, shooting baskets at Madison Square Garden, you know, before shoot-around or after shoot-around, and the same thing at the Boston Garden on the old parquet. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I was on the, you know, old parquet floor at the Boston Garden, and I was shooting baskets, and I was standing at the center circle where Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain squared off, and so many of those, you know, great matchups throughout history. And it was such a thrill for me to experience all of those venues and those cities in a completely different, uh, with a different perspective, I guess is what you could say. It was incredible. And I was living a dream, and I was living a dream. And, you know, Ted did the games with me for a couple of years. And then after that, um, I did the games with Quinn Buckner. And Quinn was totally different than Ted. You know, Quinn was, uh, I didn't really understand this, but I didn't really get that involved. I didn't understand why they would fly a guy all the way out from Indiana to do the Kings games. I wasn't a fan of that. You know, I didn't say anything because obviously I was new on the block and I'd only had a couple of years under my belt and I was just grateful uh, to be doing the games. But I didn't really understand why you would have Quinn Buckner come all the way out from Indiana to do games in Sacramento. Or it didn't make sense to me. And listen, I like Quinn, but Quinn and I didn't really have chemistry on the air. You know, Quinn and I didn't know each other that well. And to be honest, Quinn didn't really do a lot of homework before the games. Quinn, I'll make the analogy this way. Quinn could go to a schoolyard, all right, and and be an analyst for a pickup game of basketball and make it sound okay. But he didn't really do a lot of homework. He didn't really know what was going on when he got to Sacramento. I mean, I remember one time we were standing, getting ready to go on, and he said, where's Lionel Simmons? And I said, Lionel's been out for over two weeks. He's like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, again, he didn't really do a lot of homework leading up to the games. But, you know, I did the games with Quinn, and I always had a philosophy. It didn't matter who I was going to work with. I was always going to make it work. I was always going to do my best. But Quinn Buckner was not somebody that I really enjoyed doing the games with. I, enjoy, You know, I, there's nothing against Quinn. It's just we didn't have that chemistry on the air. You know, when you know when you work with somebody, you either have chemistry uh, or you don't. And then uh, we move on to Derek Dickey. And Derek Dickey, almost overnight, uh, became one of my best friends. Derek, if you remember, was on that 1975 World Championship team with the Warriors, played with Rick Barry. He had the Afro. And the one thing about Derek Dickey is everyone liked Derek. I never met anyone that did not like Derek Dickey. And we were together all the time. When we were in Sacramento, we were golfing uh, a couple of days a week. When we were on the road, we would have a meal together. We sat next to each other on the airplane. Now, the one thing I remember about Derek, he loved hot sauce. And I mean like the hottest sauce that you could buy. Like, I remember going to certain cities, you know, like, oh, I got to go here. They have the hottest hot sauce anywhere. I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? Seriously. But boy, did he love that hot sauce. And he didn't drink. And we used to talk on the airplane. And we used to laugh. And we used to laugh all the time on the airplane. And he, Derek had a very dry sense of humor. But he had a laugh that was just, it was unmistakable when you, if you didn't know Derek was in the room and you all of a sudden heard a laugh, you're like, oh my gosh, Derek's here. Derek was just a great, great person. And I had the absolute pleasure of having Derek Dickey as my broadcast partner for three years on Kings TV. And then for some reason, and I have no idea why, uh, they did not renew his deal. And I, I still to this day do not understand why the Kings 
made that choice. But fortunately for Derek, he caught on with the Bulls and was Neil Funk's broadcast partner on radio. And I was so happy for Derek because he arrived in Chicago for the final three championships of Michael Jordan. So Derek got a chance to experience greatness alongside Neil Funk, who's also great. But Derek was, uh, until he took his last breath, was one of my best friends on the planet. And we spent a lot of time together. And I'll never forget when I got the call that Derek had suffered a debilitating stroke. Derek was a very, uh, he was a, a, a man of routine. He had, a, he had a routine that he really didn't deviate from. And when his girlfriend back in Sacramento did not receive a call on that fateful morning, she got very nervous. And as it turned out, Derek had suffered a stroke and was on the floor and heard the phone ring and heard the answering machine go off and heard Sally and others trying to get a hold of him, but he couldn't move. And when he didn't show up, then, when I mean show up, the Bulls had a game that night. They broke into his apartment, his condominium building in downtown Chicago. And there was Derek on the floor, and he had suffered a debilitating stroke that left one side of his body paralyzed. And I'll never forget being in Washington, D.C. Uh, it was shortly thereafter, and we had a day off, and I had talked to Sally and I said, Sally, I, I, need, I want to come and see Derek. And he was at a hospital in Chicago. And she said, you know, you really, it's not worth it. You'd only be able to see him for five minutes. I go, if I can see him for five minutes, I'm coming. So I got on a plane from Washington, flew to Chicago, went to the facility he was at. And I'll never forget walking into the room. Derek was barely conscious, lying in bed. And I grabbed his hand, and I remember the little smile that he had on his face. And the only word that he could manage to say to me was, thank you. And I, I probably spent, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe at the very most 15. But Derek was very tired, did not have a lot of energy. But that was sad. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you to see uh, such a, an incredible person who was all about his body, ate right, didn't drink, was just looked like a, a brick wall, and lying in bed, debilitated, paralyzed on one side of his body. And I walked out into the hallway with Sally, and I gave her a hug, and I got back to the airport, and I flew to Washington. And then sometime after that, they were able to transport Derek to Sacramento. And Derek had the will and the courage of a lion. And Derek loved golfing, as I told you, and we used to golf all the time. And so I asked Sally, do you think it would be all right if I come by to the house and, and take him to the range and try to hit a couple of balls? And she said, you can try. And so I went to Derek. You know, Derek's a big guy now, all right? And it was such a process just to get him from the house into the car. And then from the car to the wheelchair and out to the driving range 
and get him to stand up, and he was able to stand up, and he would hit the ball, obviously, with one arm, and sometimes we would only hit three or four balls, and he would say, I got to go, I'm too tired, and we'd get back to the car, take him back home, but I would do that very often, and that's how I first started my golf tournament, where I had the tournament for the American Heart Association and Stroke Awareness on behalf of Derek. And Derek was there, and Derek by then had regained a lot of his strength and was doing a lot better and really enjoyed being a part of that, and everyone loved seeing Derek. And then two years later, we lost Derek. We lost him. And I lost a great friend, but I lost somebody that, you know, we always say life is not fair. Derek was living proof that life was not fair. And I had such a, a great three years with him. And the friendship was one that was special to me. And I became a better human being from being around Derek pretty much on a daily basis during the time that he was my broadcast partner. And then after that, I ended up going on radio for two years for whatever reason. And then they put me back on TV. And during that time, we had experimented with a couple of different announcers. I mean, I did a game with the uh, just-retired NBA referee, Earl Strom, and that was a trip. You know, Bill Wennington did a game with me once. Uh, There were a couple of others that would do games. Uh, But then it was the start of a new era. We introduce you to Jerry Reynolds as a broadcast analyst. And it took Jerry a while, but it didn't take him long. I mean, the, the toughest thing with Jerry was just to teach him about the open, when we're on camera, where do you look, where do you stand. You know, at halftime, when we're on camera, you know, where do you look. And it, it, it he was a fast learner. He was a fast learner. The great thing about Jerry is I've known Jerry since 1987, and I'd spent a lot of time with Jerry. And, you know, when I started doing the Kings back in 1988, we didn't have a private plane. We flew commercial. And very often after the game, we'd go to the bar and we'd grab something to eat, have a couple of beers, and it would be Jerry and the other coach or the other, you know, I mean, whatever. We were always hanging out together. And so, you know, I knew Jerry and then Jerry and I had the Jerry Reynolds show that we recorded, you know, once a week at the studio at Channel 31 in Sacramento. I mean, I knew Jerry. And so when Jerry became my broadcast partner, we had already had the chemistry. You know, we we knew each other very well. And once Jerry learned the ins and outs and the nuances of broadcasting, well, the the rest is history, as they say. You know, we won a couple Emmys together. Uh, I believe, you know, we won a lot of accolades from polls and, you know, best broadcast duos in the NBA. And, you know, Jerry and I took great satisfaction that we normally would be in the top five of the 30 teams. And generally, Mike Breen would be number one and Ian Eagle of the Nets would be number two. And in a lot of the polls, Jerry and I would be three or four. And, you know, we took great pride in that. We really tried hard. We really tried very hard. Uh, to make the games as interesting as we could. And you got to remember, most of the years that I worked with Jerry, the, teams, the, the team was terrible. You know, we had that nice run, obviously, uh, towards the end of the century and at the turn of the century for a couple of years. And, you know, that was a lot of fun. But then after 2006, it was back into the doldrums. And, you know, the, one of the greatest lines that Jerry ever told me, we were sitting on the bench in San Antonio getting ready to do our rehearsal. So it's about 20, 25 minutes before the game. And Jerry says, you know what the most important part of our job is, right? 
I said, no, what's that? And he goes, to convince people they're not seeing what they're actually seeing. And I laughed so hard, like I, I was tearing up. And I was like, I can't even do the rehearsal right now because like I, tears coming down my face. I just thought, you know, that is vintage Jerry Reynolds. The most important part of our job is to convince people that they're not seeing what they're actually seeing. And so doing the games with Jerry was uh, in- incredible. I feel so blessed. We shared so many great memories. And, you know, during that great run, I remember we checked into the Arizona Biltmore and the sun was just setting. So uh, it wasn't light out anymore. And you had to walk from the lobby to whatever building you were in. And so Vladi hid behind a wall outside along the sidewalk. And here comes Jerry Reynolds trying to find his building. And Vladi jumps out in front of Jerry and screams. And you, I, I'll tell you, you know, if Jerry didn't wet his pants, it's a freaking miracle. Jerry actually screamed louder than Vladi did. Jerry was so startled. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen on the road. But that was an era back then where there was always fun. And you always had to be on your toes because of pranks that people were pulling. And, you know, with Jerry, you know, I, I, I share the story that we're on the floor somewhere. I can't remember where. And Jerry and I are on live, and all of a sudden, John Barry, JB, gets on his hands and knees behind Jerry and rolls up his pants to his knees, all right? So here we are on live TV, and JB is on his knees behind Jerry Reynolds, rolling up his pants while we're on live TV. And like, what's Jerry going to do? He can't do anything. And then all of a sudden, uh, the camera tilts down, and you can see Jerry with his black shoes and his dress socks. And his pants rolled up above his knees. That will, That's what it was like back then. I remember, you know, we would we would have so many laughs. I remember sitting in the lobby restaurant of the Grand America Hotel in Salt Lake City. And it was after shoot-around. And it was Vladi, Scott Pollard, Peja, JB, and one other individual. And I can't remember who off the top of my head. One thing about John Barry. JB always read the paper every day. Sports section. Didn't matter where we were, he would grab the sports section and he would read it. And it was pretty quiet. Everyone's eating their food. And all of a sudden, JB goes, oh, my God, Peja, do you see what Allen Iverson did last night? Do you see how many shots he took? He took 40 shots. Peja, are you shitting me? Could you imagine you and me if we had 40 shots? And JB then would just go back to reading the paper. We all laughed. But those were the type of things that we would just experience hanging around those guys. Vladi was always trying to keep people loose, was always pulling pranks on people. It was always fun being on the bus or in the locker room. You know, I'd share the story of, you know, Vladi raising well over $10,000 uh, to get a rookie to agree to have his head shaved on the bus going from Newark Airport into Manhattan. But the only stipulation was he couldn't get his uh, head or he couldn't get the hair shaved or whatever, recut until he got back to Sacramento. And we were playing the Knicks the next night at Madison Square Garden. And there you are, you know, with the rookie. And they gave him the worst mohawk I've ever seen in my freaking life. But I think he made like $12,500 that all the players chipped in on the bus. So, you know, for $12,500, you want to botch my hair up, go right ahead. Just let me know where to meet you, and I'm happy to do that. That was what it was like being on the bus, being around those players, 
Jay Will was one of the funniest people you'd ever meet in your life. We opened up the season one year in Minas- uh, in Japan against the Timberwolves. And I'll never forget, you know, we were on a commercial flight. We were on an American Airlines 777 from San Jose to Narita. Now, I'll never forget walking off the plane in Narita. And you obviously have to go through customs. But there was a glass partition between where we were walking and the other people in the airport terminal. They had already cleared and they were good, but there was that glass partition. And the Japanese paparazzi were there. And the flash bulbs were going off everywhere. And you would have thought that the freaking Rolling Stones had landed in Tokyo. And they were all there to get pictures of Jay Will. They loved Jay Will. And we played two games at the Tokyo Dome against the Timberwolves. And here's something else I'll never forget. I remember being in Houston. And I want to say it was either preseason or the last month of the regular season. I think it was the latter. And Gene Peterson was the longtime voice of the Rockets. And Gene was just bitching and complaining about, gee, I can't believe you guys got to go to Tokyo. That's going to kill you. Uh, it took us, we went to Japan, and it took us four weeks before we found our legs, and we got going. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, it's only a 10-hour flight, 10-and-a-half-hour flight. I think it's going to be fine. And Gene was like, you know, just going on and on and on. And so we go over to Minnesota, uh, to Tokyo to play the Timberwolves, and they split the two games. The Kings, after that, come home, and they won nine straight. So I remember when I saw Gene Peterson a couple weeks later, I go, hey, Gene, you were right about that Japan trip. Boy, it just kicked our ass. You know, we started off 10-1. and You know, if we hadn't gone over there, we might have started off 11-0. and And Gene goes, yeah, I don't know how that happened. It killed us, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, was, I had to give it back to him. Yeah, it really hurt us. Seriously. Kings ended up winning nearly 60 games that year. I don't think that was an issue. That was a lot of fun, though. It was a lot of fun going to China. In 2004, I shared the story on the last podcast about being with Yao and just, you know, I I can't even really put in the words what that experience was like. And then going over to China again for the China Games in uh, 2014. And I've shared, you know, the worst thing that I've ever seen was in the preseason game with DeMarcus Cousins and what he said to Paul Westfall, who was coaching the team because Lionel Hollins had gotten sick. And Paul was the assistant head coach. And DeMarcus, who was as crass and as rude and as just unbelievably uh, awful as anything I've ever seen in my life, was running up the court and told Paul Westfall to shut the F up and sit the F down. You have no idea what you're doing. And then later in the game at the free throw line, he was on the block. And he turns around and he yells at the players on the Brooklyn bench, Hey, don't effing listen to him. He doesn't have any idea what the fuck he's doing, blah, 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 blah. And when I saw Paul the next night in Beijing, as we had switched venues and there was a big red carpet event and David Stern was there and the big, big, big dinner for everyone. And I'll never forget Paul coming up to me. And Paul goes, you heard what happened last night, right? I go, well, I heard a little bit of what happened. And Paul Westfall says to me, you know, I've been in this game a long time. I've done a lot of great things in my career. I've never been so disrespected in my life. And I'm standing next to my wife, and he says, excuse my language. And I said, don't worry. We don't have a problem with it. And Paul didn't curse that much. Paul, didn't, Paul, Paul was a very classy man. He, Paul did not curse 
very often. Paul repeated what DeMarcus Cousins said to him, and I, I was absolutely appalled. DeMarcus, by the way, was ejected in that game, and Michael Malone did not play DeMarcus in the game at Beijing. Didn't play him. Didn't put him in the game. But I just thought to myself, you know, we lost. Uh, I, I, Jerry Reynolds said it best. You know, if you can't play for Paul Westfall, you can't play. He said the same thing about Keith Smart. They may not have been great coaches, although Paul did take a team to the NBA Finals. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, if you couldn't play for Paul Westfall, something was wrong with you. If you couldn't play for Keith Smart, something was wrong with you. And that experience, that conversation that I had with Paul stuck with me. And when Paul passed, in January of 2021, I talked about that story on one of my podcasts because I think of Paul Westfall and I think about how many great things I shared and experienced with him about life, not about basketball, about life. And if you, I had Charles Barkley on my podcast back in October of 2020 and we talked about Paul and how much Paul meant to him. And Charles talked about visiting Paul before he died and what a great person Paul Westfall was. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, Charles Barkley gets it. And for DeMarcus Cousins to do that in Shanghai, and again, in 32 years of covering the NBA, you know what? I've seen and heard a lot of things. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. That's the worst thing I've ever heard for a player disrespecting a coach like that. But my time with the Kings, we had so many great memories. That was not one of them, by the way. So many great times. Uh, the most difficult time was when it looked like the team was going to move. I've shared so often what it was like going to work on those days and being on the radio. And I always felt that we helped one another. I always felt that, you know, I helped you and in return, you helped me because we talked about it. And I think we felt better on most days when we got off the air. And I always try to remain positive through that entire saga and not bragging, but you know, there were only two people in Sacramento that were in the media, okay, that truly knew everything that was going on. And I was one of them, and Carmichael Dave was the other. Nobody else in town knew what we knew, all right? With Dave's sources and my sources, nobody was more dialed in to everything that was going on with that entire saga than Dave and I. And so I knew a lot of the things that were going on behind the scenes that nobody knew. And so when it seemed like there was doom and gloom, I always took the approach that it's not doom and gloom. And that's where I came up with, we're going to roll our sleeves up to our freaking neck and they're not taking this team away and blah, 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 right? And that was my mantra. And I'll never forget, it was about an hour before a game one night and I'm sitting on the King's bench and Mayor Kevin Johnson walks out onto the floor to do a TV interview on the baseline. And he goes, Grant, come here. And he I walk up to him, he kind of walks towards me, and he leans his head into my ear, and he says, there's only one thing you need to know. This team is not moving. That's all you need to know. And it's a shame that you couldn't have seen that exchange and me talking about it on the 30 for 30 documentary down in the valley that was never aired because during the interview that I had for the 30 for 30, I talked about that. And they used a soundbite of me saying, I was so damn pumped, I could have dunked the ball right there with my suit on. And But I'll never forget that. I'll never 
forget KJ saying, there's only one thing you need to know, and that is this team is not moving. That's all you need to know. And he turned around and went and did the interview. And I was just like, wow. And that whole period of time where I was getting it from all sides, trust me, all right? And I mean that. And I listen, I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me or anything. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through uh, professionally. It was just incredible to be able to go on the air every day, deal with the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns. And there were a couple times I had the Maloofs call me. I'll never forget sitting in my backyard with my wife. And we're sitting out there just enjoying a nice evening. And my phone rings and I look down and it's Joe Maloof. And I'm like, oh, my God. Hey, Joe. And Joe starts yelling at me, screaming. And I pull the phone away from my head. And my wife, I go, I'm letting her listen to this. And I let Joe go for about a minute. And I'm like, Joe. 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 Joe, stop it. And I say, Joe, are you out of your freaking mind? I can't do that. You know I can't do that, Joe. I can't go on the air and say that. What the hell's wrong with you, Joe? Joe, no way in the world I'm going on the air and saying that. Not happening. And then there was silence for like five seconds. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know, Grant. I know, Grant. I, I, I know. I know. I'm just really upset. And I'm pissed. And, you know, F him and F him and F him and F him. I'm like, hey, Joe, I get it. But I'm not, I can't do that. I'm not going on the air and saying that. And that happened a couple of times. You know, but for the most part, and I know the Maloofs are a four-letter word in Sacramento. All right, I, I I don't have that opinion of them. I'm sorry. All right, I spent a lot of time with them. All right, I have a lot of respect for their family. I really do. And I knew a lot of the things that were going on behind the scenes that a lot of other people didn't. And when the economy tanked in 06 and 07, that's when things changed for the Maloofs. And yeah, we went through some tough times. And yes, I understand how a lot of fans were upset at them. I get that. All right, I understand that. But by and large, they were really good owners. They really were. And before the economy tanked, they were great owners for the Kings. And here's something else. A lot of the players in the league wanted to go play for Sacramento. Think about that for a minute. Think about all the free agents that Jeff Petrie was able to sign because players were telling their agents, get me to Sacramento. And the Maloofs had a lot to do with that. They really did. But that period of time was just the most unbelievable roller coaster. And I think the reason why I'm doing this podcast and the reason why I do my listen app shows and now my postgame shows is I'll never forget how the fans did what they did to help keep the team. I mean, the people of Sacramento were absolutely unbelievable, so much so that Jason Hare, the director for 30 for 30s, wanted to do a 30 for 30 on the story of Sacramento because he saw it from afar. You know, he's a Boston guy. He's a New England guy. And he, he was able to feel it from 3,000 miles away across the country and had to do a little more research. And he always tells, he goes, listen, when I saw you and Jerry crying on TV, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, I've got to do a 30 for 30 on this. The announcers of the team are crying on TV. And look at the fans. And then after talking with Carmichael Dave, Jason decided to do the 30 for 30 documentary. And I've seen it a couple times, and it's phenomenal. And it really does break my heart that you didn't get a chance to see it. Some of you did, but not many. And it's such a shame because it was such a well-done 30 for 30. And it, it puts Sacramento and the community in such a great light. And it's, uh, it's just awful, absolutely awful, that that never 
was aired on uh, ESPN. But I look back, you know, at my 32 years, I look back at all the relationships that I talked about on the last podcast. I talk about all the broadcast partners that I've had and how much fun I always had announcing games. I mean, think about the, the number of games that I was a part of in 32 years. And if I wasn't doing the game on TV, I was sitting alongside Gary Gerald. And so I was behind the mic one way or another for almost every single game. That's a lot of games in 32 years. There's a lot of great moments, a lot of great individual accomplishments that I had the absolute pleasure of announcing. Clay Thompson's 37 points in the third quarter at Oracle against Sacramento. Greatest thing I've ever seen. Being at the old Chicago Stadium and watching Michael Jordan and Mitch Richmond square off. One of the great things that I've ever seen. You know, going into Boston on the old parquet and dribbling the ball during shoot-around and going, wow, there's a dead spot. Wow, here's a dead spot. Wow, there's a dead spot. You dribble the ball and it would barely come up above your ankle. I was just like, man, it's true. The old parquet, there are dead spots all over the floor. I was just thinking, man. You know, being uh, with Dick Mata and Dick having me officiate a scrimmage. And I'm like, Dick, I'm not officiating. He goes, you're officiating. I need you to officiate. I go, Dick, I don't know how to officiate. He throws me his whistle. He goes, get on the floor. And, you know, I told you, I talked about this on my podcast with Spud. You know, I didn't call a foul. And Spud didn't talk to me for a couple weeks. I mean, really, you would have thought that I had cost him game seven of the NBA finals. Didn't even talk to me. Ignored me. And Spud and I used to go out all the time on the road. All the time. And it wouldn't even call me anymore. And I finally said, Spud, it was a freaking practice. Spud. He goes, I know, but you didn't make the call. I go, Spud, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a broadcaster. I'm not an NBA referee. Well, stop it already, would you? It's been three weeks. You haven't even talked to me. And then he finally started laughing. goes, I know, I know, I know, but, you know, I'm competitive. I go, Spud, I know you're competitive. It's practice. All right? It was a practice. And I'm not a referee. All right? Dick made me officiate. You know I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Seriously, the guy didn't talk to me for a couple of weeks. I mean, just so many great stories. And then when we had the final game at Arco Arena and the team bought, brought back players from the 80s and the 90s and the, the early 2000s, and it was so great to be reunited again with Joe Klein and Otis Thorpe and Spud and all those Walt Williams and all the players from that era. It, it was so fun that night, the, the, the gathering that we had before the game, it was so much fun to see everybody. It was kind of like just one big family. It really was. It was just so great. And that's one of the nights that I cherish the most in all my years of being associated with that franchise. That night, before the game, with so many of the fellas that I had the pleasure of getting to know and broadcasting their games, it was as good as it got. And so I really appreciate you listening to me babble and babble and babble, but the reality is I've had a blessed career. My 32 years behind the mic as the TV voice of the Sacramento Kings was something that uh, I always treasured, never took for granted, never took lightly. I always was ready to go. As I told you, I only missed one game in 32 years, and that was because they had closed the airport in Phoenix and I couldn't get to the game. But I was always going to show up for work. I always wanted to show up for work. And there were a lot of days 
a lot of days on the radio where I really didn't want to go to work because I knew exactly what we were going to have to talk about. All right. I mean, when Chris Weber was there, it was Chris. It was like Chris Weber radio for four hours every day. Then when Demarcus was there, it was like four hours of Demarcus radio every day, and it wears on you, man. It it beats you down like a. It, it just wears on you. All right. It just like enough already. But that's what the fans wanted to talk about, and so we talked about that day after day after day after day, year after year after year, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. But for the most part, you know, TV and radio were. Night and day, as lean as some of the years were on TV, it was always fun doing the games. You know, I never once was on the bus or driving to the arena going, gee, I really don't want to do the game tonight. I never had that feeling. I never wanted to do the game. There were some days when I didn't want to do the radio show. I'm not going to lie to you uh, because it, it would wear you down. But it's like everything else. I knew I had a lot of people listening. I knew I had a lot of people that wanted the content. And we got through it together. You got through it. I got through it. A lot of people didn't like me. Gee, Grant, you're rude. You called that person an idiot. You called that person a moron. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I call my friends idiots and morons too when I'm on the golf course with them. That's how I talk. All right. I've called myself a moron more than I've called you a moron. I've called myself an idiot more than I've called you an idiot. That's how I live my life. That's what I do. All right. I mean, you know, don't get so damn bothered by everything. All right. It's just amazing to me. It's entertainment. And that's something that I always try to keep in mind. It was entertainment. So I really hope you enjoyed the stories. But again, from Ted Green, throughout all my years of doing the games, I always had fun. That's the one thing. And I had fun meeting all of you. And when I say all of you, I met so many of you that would stay around before the game or come up before the game or at all the functions that we used to have. That was the highlight of everything that experience was you, the fans. You're the freaking best period. And you have your days. As a matter of fact, I'm going to get on you in a couple of moments on my rant. But for the most part, A plus, A plus across the board. And for that, I say thank you very much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is now time for our CrowdUltra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. Aaron asked, you get a front row season ticket for life to one team of your choosing. What team would that be? That's easy. New York Giants. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Rob wants to know which of the top five ranked NCAA college football teams don't make the playoffs. Well, I will say that TCU will lose to Kansas State. So I will pick them. All right? I'll pick them. Sean wants to know, is Justin Jefferson an MVP candidate? He is, but he won't win. 
Charlie wants to know what percentage of World Cup viewers do you think know about the slavery and deaths? Well, first of all, Charlie, uh, are we going a little overboard with slavery or do you consider the migrant workers and what they were doing slaves? So I, I don't know if I would use the word slavery here. I think a lot of the World Cup viewers are very familiar with the issues involving the World Cup in Qatar, which, by the way, Qatar denies that about the migrant workers, just for the record. Mark wants to know, is Josh Jacobs one of the top three running backs? He is this year, no doubt about it. Jackson wants to know, were you ever bullied as a kid? Yeah, I was, quite a bit. And to be fair, I bullied some people as well, and I'm not proud of that, but that went on a lot when I was a child in the 60s and the early 70s. Uh, I saw a lot of kids bullied. And I was bullied, and I was also a bully at times. And again, I'm not proud of that when I look back on it. But yes, absolutely. And I would think if you asked a lot of people of my generation, they would answer it the same way that I did. Blake wants to know, is Trevor Lawrence ever going to become a superstar of Burrow's level? Well, you know, Burrow obviously got the team to the Super Bowl last year. I thought Trevor Lawrence in the final two minutes against Baltimore on Sunday, that was uh, the best two minutes that I've seen uh, in a long time from a quarterback. I'll say yes, he will get to that level. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Rich asked, does it seem like Alvin Kamara has gotten worse? Yeah, it's the show life of a running back. You know, I wouldn't say I would never expect a, a big game from him, but I don't think he's the same player, Rich. Absolutely. Jerry wants to know, do I think Kyle Shanahan is a good coach? Yeah, I do, but he's got to win the big game. I mean, that's what's keeping him from being a great coach. But yes, Jerry, I do think he is a good coach. Again, just go to CrowdUltra.com, and maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. It's time for Brand, 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 Brand. And today's rant is brought to you by Zoom 180. This is going to be a revolutionary new flashlight. It is in mass production right now. And when it becomes available, you're going to go, Napes, how on earth do I get my hands on one of these? Zoom 180, all right? Trust me, when you see it, you'll want it. And I'll let you know when that time comes. Remember the name, Zoom 180. So I'm doing a post-game show after the Kings lost last night to Phoenix, and you would have thought that De'Aaron Fox was the worst player in the freaking NBA. You know, I don't get this. De'Aaron Fox has a bad game. You know, I don't know if he's being bothered by that bruised knee that he suffered a week ago, but he had a bad game, and, you know, you would have thought that the guy's the worst player in the history of the Sacramento Kings. Memo to Kings fans that were down on De'Aaron Fox last night. He's human. He's going to have bad games, all right? It's part of being a professional athlete. Without the Aaron Fox this year, you wouldn't have five wins right now. You're ten and nine. Enjoy it. Lay off the Aaron Fox. All right. I've been critical of Fox too, but not this year. I haven't been able to be critical of Fox this year because there's been nothing to criticize. The guy's been unbelievable. He's been playing at an all-star level. And you want to kill the guy because he had a bad night against the Phoenix Suns? Really? That's what being a fan's like now? Give me, give me, give me, give me. But as soon as you have a bad game, you don't want him anymore. I mean, please tell me I'm. Tell me I'm being wrong here, but that's what I heard last night doing the postgame show after the Kings lost to the Phoenix Suns, and I would say stop it with that. Stop it with that talk, would you please? Be grateful for what you have. Without Fox, again, you don't have five wins right now. You don't have five wins on the season, and that's my rant for today, and that is my podcast for today. Hope you have yourself a great rest of the week, and thank you so much, as always, for joining me right here, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. So long, everybody.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.